You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience. On this first day in May, this is your one-stop shop of the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And let me tell you folks, it is a May Day. We are long past May Day, May Day at our border. If you just think of the fact that when we embarked on this real heavy focus on immigration at the beginning of the year, we had a five-week partial government shutdown, December, January, over the state of our border. <laughs> what is going on today dwarfs even what we thought was unprecedented at the time. And still, months upon months after calling for a shutdown, Months upon months after being past the point of no return with an emergency, urgency, unprecedented, unchartered, detrimental to American interests by a factor of a thousand. Public charge, diseases, criminality, gangs, drugs, empowerment of the cartels. And yet, we're still nowhere closer to solving this problem. And in fact, it's our policy as Americans by our government to force Americans to pay for the rope to hang ourselves. We can only do for others, but not for ourselves. Today, before I get back to what I mean by that, when I get back to immigration, And there are stuff in the courts going on I want to get to if we have time. 424 people crossed Tuesday morning in Sunland Park, New Mexico, setting a new record for the largest group of people ever coming at once. And they're all released. You know, before doing this, I want to get back to foreign policy. We haven't spoken about foreign policy in a while with everything going on in Venezuela. I want to give you my take on Venezuela, tied into Russia and China, and then ultimately come back to immigration. You know, throughout the last year, we put out a thesis that national defense all gets back to our own sovereignty. That if we do the things that we have control over, that is eminently within the domain of our government and the quintessential job of our government to do, which is to protect our sovereignty, not let in a single person through our land border or airports with visas unless we are 100% sure they are not going to be any sort of liability on the American people. And we always have to err on the side of the American people, not on the side of the guy trying to come in. We would protect our inner strength and we would protect ourselves against terrorism against a lot of crime a lot of this stuff gangs transnational cartels and then if we would stop using our military 
to worry about virtue signaling and media yellow journalism and, you know, oh, I feel bad for other people and, and conflate virtue signaling with strategic thinking and instead harness soft power against terror finance. Designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist group. Designate the cartels as a terrorist group. Have proper carrots and sticks and the Monroe Doctrine in our own hemisphere. We would be so much stronger against Iran, Russia, and China and other Islamic terrorism, and certainly the Mexican cartels. But instead, it is the opinion of the foreign policy establishment that has saturated the State Department the CIA, but even the Defense Department and the military leadership and all the Republican thinkers, much less the Democrat ones, that we're only allowed to care about other countries' people, other countries' citizens, not our own. I fell out of my seat. And look, this might be a perspective you're not going to hear elsewhere. And it might be in disagreement with other people you hear on our network, other networks, but frankly, I think these other people haven't thought strategically. They think in terms of Twitter, in terms of photos and videos and cameras and viral and millennial and cuteness, and we don't think strategically America first. Look, there's a lot to say about Venezuela. Maduro tied into Raul Castro with Cuba, allies with Iran, Turkey, Russia, and China, all the bad actors. I want him Maduro gone like anyone else. I don't know much about Juan Guaido. Seems decent enough, certainly better than Maduro. Yes, I want him. Yes, it's horrible, the Tiananmen Square images on TV of them you know, pouring over people with tanks. And yes, there's a lot of lessons to learn about socialism and gun control, disarming your people. And they're all legitimate, and colleagues of mine have been, have been writing about that, making those points. But the next question of strategically and militarily, what do we do with that? What is our focus? What strategically harms us? What are our strategic interests that need to be protected? Nobody's thinking in those terms because we never think in those terms when that should be exclusively what we're thinking about. Not our thoughts and prayers, not NGO work, but the assets of the American government most sacred in that are the assets of the American military. We have to be careful what we use it for, what we hope to accomplish. Every time we've used it in these type of conflicts in recent history, it's backfired. It's gotten even worse. It's done nobody any benefit. It's certainly harmed America, but even the, you know, the people that we seek to save, it, it, it makes it, on net there's more civilian deaths. I still believe what I did when we had Joseph Humeyer, who, you know, as you know, he's he's a, um, has, you know. His background is, uh, I think he might have been born here, but his parents are from Bolivia. He's very well acquainted with these countries, very much wants us to focus in them. Look, if I would have been in charge of government the last 30 years, I would have focused 
exponentially more on our own hemisphere, not on the Middle East, not on refereeing Islamic civil wars, flushing trillions of dollars to pay for the rope to hang ourselves so we could get thousands of our soldiers injured, tens of thousands, uh, killed tens of thousands injured and sick, refereeing Islamic civil wars, doing social work in a combat zone, only to bring in several million migrants from the Middle East, as well as from Latin America, coming full circle absurdity in our lack of priorities, send our military off on a whim without any congressional input or declaration of war or cost-benefit analysis, risk versus return matrix, understanding what we're trying to guard other than virtue signaling. And the same applies here. The last 30 years, I would have done so much more to have a deterrent, the proper carrot and sticks, to build up Argentina and Brazil and Colombia, not in a free, you know, um, you know, welfare type of system, but carrots and sticks. I would have had naval bases all over there rather than having them in the Middle East. That's where we need to project our power because that's the first line of defense ultimately going up the pipeline into Mexico and the migration at our border. And that's where China and Russia and Iran would put the screws to us. That's where I would have had it. So this whole thing would have been moot, but we haven't done that. And instead, we pissed away our lives in the Middle East doing social work and bringing in migrants. That's essentially what we spent trillions of dollars on. So we have no time, treasure, resolve, energy left for Latin America. We don't even know what we're doing there. We're lost. The world knows we're lost. So Russia, China, Iran, and Turkey, and Cuba set up, set up shop. And they created constituencies. You got Hezbollah there. You got a you know, large Arab diaspora there. I don't know what we could hope to do we have the war- weapons of war to destroy countries and kill all the people. But if you want to maintain the people but somehow destroy Maduro's forces, the logical question is, well, what about the constituencies and the p- paramilitaries of the other countries that support him? How do you get rid of that? We could theoretically do that, but w- we don't fight wars that way anymore, if you know what I mean. A lot of civilians would get killed. So we're going to have another... It's going to be another Syria dumpster fire. There's nothing we can do at this juncture. You know, I fell out of my seat when I saw Secretary of State Pompeo say all options are on the table, including military force. First of all, it's interesting because, you know, everything in the Middle East, everyone says, is pursuant to the AUMFs, the authorization Congress gave them in 2001, 2003 with Afghanistan and Iraq. But you sure as hell cannot tell me that that applies to Venezuela. So have we lost the sense of the Constitution? And again, I'm not just trying to be a stickler for law, which is important in in, in its own right, but strategically, there's a reason why the founders wanted that, because they wanted to get the buy-in of the whole of the people so we could properly articulate what is it we expect to do. So there's no recognition of going to Congress. That's first of all. But second of all, I jumped out of my seat because I said to myself, 
I spent all day speaking to experts on the border, on the cartels, sheriffs in Texas. I'm going to have an interview out with him on how rural Texas is being affected by transnational cartels and gangs. It's really all 50 states are being affected. Maybe not Hawaii, I don't know. But we have the worst cartels that are like Maduro times 10 flowing a million migrants into this country, gangs, drugs, a degree of criminality that we're going to be saddled with in the coming years that is beyond belief if you look at what the 2014 much smaller flow did to us. And yet nobody will ever say all options are on the table for the Mexican cartels, including the military. Never. You'll never hear that. And the reason is because that's for America. That's for us. And our government is no longer allowed to be of, by, and for the American people. It can only be what the media defines and the political elite establishment defines as morality, and that's caring about others. And again, in my religion, there is virtue in caring about other people over yourself. But that's at a personal level. At a governmental level, you have no right to do that. That is no virtue. That's a vice. We don't seem to understand the morality anymore. So, you know, you have images. I could show you images of what the cartels are doing to people, but the media doesn't show that. They show images of the tanks pouring over people in Venezuela. Oh my gosh, we must get involved. Ask yourself this question. Is that really coming from a place of strategic thinking or is that coming from a reaction of virtue signaling? And again, in this case, look, unlike in the Middle East where often it's, you know, we're literally helping Hezbollah, meaning the virtue signaling against ISIS is going directly to Hezbollah. Here, look, there are innocent people that genuinely are fighting for their country. God bless them. I wish we could do something with limited risk and cost and a likely successful outcome to help them. If someone has an idea for that, let me know. We'll be exploring this with Joseph, Joseph Humeyer later this week. Now, I have a couple ideas I want to get to, the use of soft power. But the military is not going to do anything for anyone. But I just wanted to get that thought out that no matter how bad things get with Mexico and the cartels and, and this invasion, we will never talk about the military other than using them for lawyers, cooks, and busboys. I don't know how you run a country when we cannot when we can no longer defend our own prerogatives. The bottom line is what needs to be done is first and foremost, you look at what's going on. If I'm the head of my household, I live outside of Baltimore. I look at the violence in Baltimore City. I don't say, hey, you know, I'm going to expend my resources and go downtown and, you know, put up signs, help them get stick my neck out between the Bloods and the Crips. Um, maybe put up signs for these guys to come to my house. No. First step is I got to secure my own home. Arm myself, get good security here. Ensure they can't come here. And we have to make sure that we draw align around our interests, and in this case, it's close enough, it's our own homeland. 
which anyway, even without Venezuela, we need to be doing because of Mexico and Central America, and Haiti and Cuba, for that matter, and African migration everywhere else. We need to have a 212F shutoff that the president refused to, refused to do. I'm going to have another plan out today, kind of repeating myself, but also adding new nuances to the idea. We need to protect ourselves from the migration that would result from this. We need to stick the screws to Cuba, reverse all of Obama's normalization of relationships with there, slap sanctions on Cuba. You know what Obama did when he created relations with them? I mentioned this yesterday. He agreed to not even force them to take back Cuban criminal aliens. We need to change that. So just on that account, again, not because we're virtue signaling over others. We need to do that because of our own sovereignty is being violated by Cuba. Then we need to turn to Russia and do to Russia what, do to Putin what Putin does to us. Now, look, in general, in general, my view is that Putin is not as bad as China. Look, the guy's an evil guy. But strategically, in the long run, I believe China is the biggest existential threat to us from a conventional statecraft level that would literally supplant us in a conventional war. And they're working towards that. I mean, the premier of China stepped up to the podium a couple of weeks ago, gave a speech, and was like, this is our, our century. This is our time. Putin doesn't really talk like that. Putin wants his prerogatives. Now, look, I'm not going to be in this Putin apologist crowd. I am a hawk on that, but a hawk in, a, in the right way. I don't think we need to counter them in every stage that they're on. We need to, again, define our interests and protect them, and Putin will respect that either out of mutual diplomacy or out of playing hardball with him. Whereas China, I think totally we need to treat as an enemy and counter in every way. I do think there's an angle for proper diplomacy with, with Putin, but again, it's got to be from a position of strength, not groveling. And I think we need to two things we need to say. So so anyway, let's let's first start with what Putin does. Putin doesn't care about taking over Latin America as an end to itself. Putin likes using snakes to pressure us. Right? He, to, for his prerogatives. So to him, what what is Maduro? Why did he why did the Russians call up Maduro yesterday? Maduro was almost ready to leave, by the way. And if our goal is to get Maduro to leave and to help a new government with soft power, maybe a little bit of help, without engaging in a military invasion that's not going to end well, the best goal should be how do we get Maduro to leave? Okay, soft power. The keys to that are with Russia. And Russia clearly wants him there. Do you know why Russia wants him there? Because that's their piece on the chessboard. Where, you know, like, if I, if I send my pieces to your side, you could defend against that. But also, you could send your knight and your bishops to attack my end of the board. And that pushes you off. And by him pressuring us, and I, I still wonder if they're behind some of the caravans and the migration as well, that takes them off of where they don't want us, which is Poland. They badly don't want us in Poland. And I think we need to just reverse that. Call up Putin and say, hey, um, 
not only aren't we pulling out, but in fact, I think we might have some plans to put in more missiles. Oh, and by the way, that new START treaty that Obama signed with you, well, this is a different era, and I'm not Obama, and I'm not renewing that treaty. But you know what? You could always get rid of Maduro, and we could talk then. That's what Reagan would have done. That's what Trump needs to do. That, that is the only answer I have, which we should be doing anyway, even without Venezuela. And, and that's the type of thing Putin respects. We give him breathing room in, in Crimea, which is not going to do anything for us anyway. But we got to defend our prerogatives in our hemisphere. And then the, the, the third ground for that is Europe. He badly doesn't want NATO there. It's just a blow to his ego. Not that he's even scared of them. I mean, he knows that NATO generals are too busy worrying about transgender uh, female Navy SEALs than, um, you know, in quotas for diversity than being a threat to Russia. If you notice, a lot of things with Putin are pomp and flash. He brags about his super weapons. China doesn't brag about super nukes. They're doing things in the South China Sea. They're taking things. Their 5G stuff to control the web. That, that's how they're thinking. They, want, they literally want to take over the world. And again, Putin knows. Putin can't be stupid. He has to know that America is so rotten out, so homosexualed up, so lost its resolve, so doesn't care about its own prerogatives, that he's like, let's face it, he'll talk a big game, but he's not dumb. He knows our culture as well as you and I do. And he knows we're not a threat to him. We're just not. He's got to believe China is a bigger threat. You know, as much as we kind of view them as strategic allies often, at the end of the day, China's a much bigger threat to, to him than, than the U.S. is. That's really what we need to prepare about. And in the coming months, I really want to do more shows on China because that really is, you know, the ultimate threat that, you know, again, most things, I think, terror finance, soft power, designations, law enforcement, border, cutoff immigration, the right alliances in Europe, the Middle East, and Latin America, it's a different world. The one exception is really China. Now, again, the more we go after Iran, soft power, ramp up our domestic oil production, which is being put on hold from these vermin courts, yes, that, that, is, that is to the degree that district judges now control the most sensitive parts of our foreign policy because that's what, what oil and energy are. We could be a superpower in our own right, and that will help against China, but there's other things we need to be doing. China is really its own problem. But again, we need to worry about our interests. And what I fear about what the kind of neoconservative mentality in Bolton and, and Pompeo, and I agree with them on a lot of things, but they're, they're too into uh, evil versus good, the good people we need to protect. And it's just they're not strategic thinkers on a lot of theaters. That's my concern. These are the same people that to this day are like, oh, ISIS, ISIS. It was all the imagery of what ISIS was doing, but 
no one thought strategically we gave Syria to the Russians. The, the Russians were about to let Assad fall when ISIS was getting powerful. ISIS was about to become the problem of Russia, Assad, Hezbollah, and Iran. They were marching on to Baghdad. Let me ask you a question. What if we would have done nothing? And what I mean by doing nothing is to define our interests. Not like, oh my gosh, ISIS, there's a group called ISIS. They're doing evil things. And we need to respond because there's videos on, on, on TV. No. What are our strategic interests? Okay. So maybe you want to protect some areas of the Kurds. To the extent you agree with that. Put a put a line around that, but anything in the dumpster fire of the non-Kurdish Iraq and Syria, guess what? That's the problem of Iran. We bailed out Iran and Russia. They were like, Daniel, but we can't cede Syria to Russia. Like, you idiot. You guys were the ones that advocated that we clean up the Sunni insurgency for them, which will come back anyway, and then we'll go and clean it up again. So they have the luxury Iran, you know, Soleimani and the IRGC, the Quds Force, um, Hezbollah, and Russia, they have, and Turkey, they have the luxury of being there because they know we hold down the Sunni insurgency so they get the benefits of getting involved but don't have the liabilities. That Sunni insurgency, as evil as they are, if played right against the, our other enemies, rooting for casualties, it could be a strategic interest. It's said that people die, but there's nothing we can do about that. Either way, they're going to do it. The Sunnis are not going to put up with permanent Iranian hegemony there. They're just not. Those tribes. You're always going to have terror groups representing them. You define your prerogatives that the Sunni terror groups could harm, and you defend them, and everything else Guess what? Iran would have had to fight them. Now Iran is more powerful than ever. Russia is more powerful than ever, ever there because we cleaned it out for them and they are confident that inevitably, and there are signs of this, that when the Sunni tribes come with you know, insurgency 3.0, we're going to clean it out for them as well. The minute they know that they own it, that we have a different mentality, they have a major problem on their hands. That's the sort of strategic thinking we don't have. It's not just that we don't do the right things, but we do the wrong things. The Middle East has become one big industrial complex of just selling weapons of war for no purpose. I was joking around with a friend here. I said, look, maybe we can cut a deal with the military industrial complex and say, hey, if you want endless contracts, we'll use your weapons of war on the cartels in Mexico. And do some good with them. It's just out of control. So this is what we're getting wrong in these places. But again, it all gets back to the fact that we expend our diplomacy, our policies, our law, our courts, our military, everything for the use of other people to harm us. That's the thing. When it comes to 
politically correct people. We could do whatever we want. You know, I just want to mention this point. It's just been bothering me. This leader of this um, border militia that was arrested on firearms charges. Okay? Look, probably not the greatest character. Why are we not going after the smugglers and the cartels in America, the criminal aliens? Instead, we're letting them go. We're treating them as great people. But U.S. Magistrate Judge Karen B. Mosin ordered that Larry Hopkins remain detained because of clear and convincing evidence indicating no condition or combination of conditions of release will reasonably assure the safety of any other person in the community. He is now like being treated as a mass murderer and he's not being released on bond while every one of these vermin criminal aliens who are working for MS-13 and the cartels or the cartels are the consummate flight risks we let out on bond all the freaking time. And this guy was beaten up and sent to the hospital because we put him in Las Cruces with the gang members in, in the, the, the Mexican gang members in jail there, which we would never do for anyone else. So he certainly has the strongest case of needing to be out on bail because of his own safety. I mean, really? When it comes to a guy, I mean, look, I don't know if him and his tactics and who he is, but at some point, if our government is violating our duly passed laws relating to the most sensitive foundational dictates of government, of the social compact, I mean, what do you want citizens to do? And yet, okay, as a firearm charge, well, what about all the criminal aliens with firearms charges? You know, my article that's going to be in show notes just came out. Just came out. This guy, um, Moderno, this 20-year-old MS-13 guy arrested in a rural county in Texas. I spoke with the sheriff, and he was disturbed how they had to have a manhunt because Dallas County let this guy go a year ago when he had theft and all, all sorts of like 11 different charges. And they let him go on bond. And they didn't notify ICE. And they gave him over. And then now there, were, there was more investigations going on that he was doing more stuff. So there's a warrant for him. And he was chased into his um, county, Clay County. It's right near the Oklahoma um, border. Near Wichita Falls is the major city around there, but it's a small city. County of 10,000. Now his sheriff's deputies have to deal with this stuff. They have cartel activity on Highway 287. This was an MS-13 guy arrested, 20-year-old El Salvadoran. He came in in 2014. And this happens every day. These guys are arrested, drug charges, firearms charges, and they're let go on bond. They were let go on bond. But somehow this guy is a militia member. Oh, that's that's just like, oh my God. This guy's like, I mean, it's like El Baghdadi. I mean, this is we don't have equal protection under the law. Our laws, our military and diplomacy policy is all race-based. It's politically correct. It's identity-based. It's virtue signaling-based with no virtue in it. That's the sad reality. Again, I'm not, I'm not no defender of this guy. I don't know who he is. But that should disturb everyone, everyone to that extent. First, he's beaten up in prison. Then no bail. 
under those circumstances, that really doesn't sit right. Boy, our government sure knows how to get tough when they want to. Boy, do they know how to get tough. But you will have cartel members with AK-47s come up to our border. Step over our border. And not only is the military option, quote, not on the table to go after them. Their command and control. Their weapons, their fields, their labs. But we won't nab them Right at our border, we won't grab them. We pay for the rope to hang our own people, pay to bring in invaders, pay for the security of other people, other countries, other countries' citizenry, but not our own. Not our own. That's the sad reality. That is the sad reality. Again, we can only be hurt by allowing in these networks into our own country. We need the military. We need a deterrent for China, for other things. But most of the current threats we have from terrorism and organized crime and the cartels, it's all self-immolating. Big news yesterday, I'm sure you saw. Justice Department announced Jordanian national pleads guilty to conspiracy to bring aliens into the United States. Moyad Haider Mohammed Aldari, 31, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to bring aliens to the United States and related charge for his role in the scheme to smuggle Yemeni aliens through Mexico to the United States. Okay, this is not um, you know, some funny blog site. This is Department of Justice press release. According to the plea agreement, during the second half of 2017, Aldari conspired with others to smuggle at least 60 many nationals across Texas border into the U.S. in exchange for a fee. Um, Alderi admitted his role transporting the aliens from Monterey, Mexico, to Piedras Negras, where he directed them to cross the Rio Grande River into the United States. You better believe, by the way, the cartels know about this. They charge for it. They charge more for it because they know there are higher targets, and they know they have more money, these type of people, if they're doing SIA smuggling. That, that's the real national security threat. That's a much bigger threat than tanks running over innocent people in other countries, which is terrible as it is. And again, I, I even have the belief, I am of the belief of a certain morality that even something that might not be in a strategic interest, but if we have with little pain, little resources and little risk to save people, even if it wouldn't be in our interest, I believe in a certain godly ordained providence of blessing us with resources to do that. I'm for that in the right circumstances. But but there's nothing, there's no play to be made here. That's the problem. But anyway, um, this is what we have. How many more are like this? We're bringing them in. And, and part of the problem is we have so much illegal and legal immigration from these places that they already have operatives and relatives and they want to reunite with them. So there's that issue. That's where we need to focus first and foremost. 
And again, simple designation. Designate the cartels and smuggler groups as terrorists. Designate MS-13 as terrorists. And yes, designate the Muslim Brotherhood as terrorists. What this does is it allows law enforcement, you know, because we have all this criminal justice deform and we let these people go on bond and all the things. We treat them differently in our legal system if we catch them in America. But yeah, what do you have here? Trump is, for the 50th time, considering whether to designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror group. And you have Republicans that are pouring cold water on it. Not just Democrats, Republicans. This is from CQ. Top foreign policy Republicans cautious on new terror designation. Senior Republicans for foreign policy issues were cool on Tuesday to news that Trump administration has begun an interagency process for potentially designating Muslim bros as a terrorist group. Fresh off a trip to the Middle East that included a stop in Jordan, Senator Mitt Romney did not directly criticize the administration's move. Um, however, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Middle East Subcommittee noted, Jordan's king has found it better to deal with the Muslim Brotherhood by allowing them to operate openly as a political party with a mediocre public policy track record instead of outlawing them and risking them obtaining martyr status. I think there are various approaches to dealing with the Muslim Brotherhood, Romney said, noting he would want to see any designation of the Sunni Islamist movement happen on a state-by-state basis and after extensive consultation with our allies and embassy staff. Then they also quote House Foreign Affairs top Republican Mike McCall saying that the Muslim Brotherhood, um, he said, I think in Egypt they certainly have been a threat, but I have to look at that. For now, I'll defer to interagency because it's a complex topic. I mean, I mean, this is what Russia and China look at in Iran. They know we have a bunch of depends wearing panty waist, transgender mentality losers running our government. Mittens Romney. Let, let me explain what a full Mitt Romney is. Let me explain to you something about Jordan. About Jordan's king. Okay? If you notice, Egypt, um, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates have formed an alliance to be very tough on the Muslim Brotherhood, Qatar, and Iran. You'll notice Jordan is a Sunni country that's seemingly an ally that doesn't seem to be joining them. But there's a reason for it. No country has played the double game of telling their people and public posturing one way and privately helping America and Israel in another way, like the King of Jordan. Mitt Romney, as the top, as the chairman of the Middle East subcommittee, should know this. So when Jordan's like, oh, no, I don't want to go after the Muslim Brotherhood, there's more than meets the eye. 70% of Jordan is Palestinian. They're nutcases. They know that. They have to deal with that. America is not Jordan, you idiot. We don't have to deal with that. Yes, Jordan has to publicly posture a certain way on the Muslim Brotherhood while privately believing something differently. We don't have to do that. Maybe under Mitt Romney and Mike McCall's policy, we'll become 70% Palestinian one day. But until then, we have the luxury of being prudent on this. These are the things we need to be doing. But even these slam dunk, dunk things have no support from Republicans, fought to the last iota 
and we get nothing out of it. So that's the story here. This is what's so frustrating. So, so frustrating. But I want to get back to also how we're hanging ourselves with what I call soft sanctuary cities and how, again, I believe this ties in to designating, in this case, not so much the Muslim Brotherhood, although it would apply to them too, but the cartels and MS-13 as terrorist groups. So what are soft sanctuary cities? So the hard sanctuary cities are the ones where ICE issues a detainer directly and they refuse to honor it and they let the guy go without holding the guy so ICE could pick them up. As you know, a lot of people arrested for crimes, um, they post bond. Many states now, you don't even have to post bond like in California and they're out in the flesh. So the problem is we all know that most of the people you catch are dangerous people. And again, it's the 10 doing the 90. It's a small amount of people relative to the population of the country who do most of the crime, and they're they're a danger. And you know, you let them out on the streets, they do more crime. It's bad enough for American people, you know, the threat of committing more crime while you're out on bond and absconding. But for illegal aliens, <clears throat> It's totally avoidable because ICE could just take them into custody to deport them. Okay. And then if you want to criminally convict them, so then you go back into the local jail and and you stand trial. But if not, at the very least, they could deport them or detain them to deport them and they're not released. So it, it, it's just a matter of redressability. There's an extra tool in the box when you're dealing with a criminal alien. You give them over to ICE. But then you have, you know, all those in the middle, the big urban areas, in this case, Dallas County. And these are the areas where they're going to get a tremendous amount of illegals picked up on drunk driving, on drug trafficking, maybe assault, this type of stuff. And these people, they post bond very quickly for what's considered lower level crimes. And they're out within hours. Now, what happens is, well, you'll say, what do you mean? How are they out? Doesn't ICE issue a detainer? And if they're not a sanctuary, as Dallas County isn't, I mean, no county in Texas can be after SB4 was passed, outlawing, you know, requiring them to cooperate with detainers. So what's the problem? So this is what happened with this guy that I wrote about today. You have to understand, and this is this is a huge public threat. ICE only gets pinged on the NCIC, right? The National Crime Information Center, that data, they get pinged with the fingerprints. The fingerprints match up to an alien, and then they're like, boom, okay, in this facility, this city, okay, you, Joe Schmo of ICE ERO, go out and get him. Okay, and they issue a detainer. But what happens is, what if this is a guy that evaded Border Patrol? The DHS never got a hold of him. And as we've noted, more of the criminal element, by definition, 
pay the smugglers to get in in a way that they're more likely to successfully evade, right? If you have a criminal record, you know, or you're a bad dude and you don't want to get caught, you are not going to obviously surrender to an agent. So all those surrendering are going to have fingerprints in the system. So if any of these, for example, the people surrendering in these large groups wind up committing a crime after um, being released, theoretically, right when they're booked, ICE should get pinged. So even without the county being a 287G county where they're actively trained to interview and vet out their immigration status and then go and inform ICE, if they're not, even if they didn't do anything, they're just neutral. I should know about it. But a lot of these guys, they have no fingerprints. And if this is the first time they're being pinged, they're not going to know anything. It's not going to come up as an alien because it's not going to be in their system. And so often they give fake names. So you have a fake name with an ID. ID they never saw before. Now, if it's a guy giving a fake name who is in their system, so the prints will come up, it will come up under a different name, they're trained, the ICE knows ready to look for that. Okay, now we have to go and reconcile. Now, there is another way that they do have, if it's not a sanctuary, if it's a sanctuary, they're really screwed. If it's not, like in Dallas County, they should have ICE stationed in the facilities and they are monitoring this, and they see you know, the guys booked for it, and they'll try to monitor that. But you have to understand something, that there are thousands of criminal aliens that let, get let go, and therefore thousands of criminal alien crimes that go un, unreported. That we, we try to capture them here, but there's so many you miss. Because they're not there. You have to understand, ICE has fewer personnel than NYPD, and yet they're national. They have to cover all 50 states, all major cities. So they don't have enough staff to be in every facility all hours a day. You have a guy picked up on drugs, drunk driving, who's a criminal alien MS-13 guy, at 10 p.m. at night. They're not going to know about it often. And often that guy is going to be gone on bond by the morning. And unfortunately, in these areas, there's so much of this going on, it's not a big deal. You know, like if if five people died in a car accident from a drunk driver or murder or something, they'll know about it. They'll find out. This stuff doesn't even get reported. So if you're a Joe Schmo ICE agent assigned to that area, you're not you're not you're going to miss some of this stuff. And that's what appeared to happen here, because Dallas County will not actively notify them. These are the soft sanctuaries. They have an obligation. If they see a bunch of MS-13-looking guys that are likely illegals come in, and they put in their fingerprints and they get a no match, it's not on record, which should indicate they're not legal immigrants or citizens. They should notify ICE, but they don't, and they're not required to. But this is really where they're, they're really falling down on that. And that's what happened here, and this rural county now has to hold the guy because it was caught in their county. So that's the interview I did with uh, Sheriff Lemons. But I want you guys to understand how those mechanics work. But here's the importance that if we would designate the cartels as terrorists 
and MS-13 is terrorist groups. That's a very different story. If you're if you get caught and you're a suspected terrorist, the feds could issue guidance. You have to ping us on that. So that's the thing. All these first timers, it goes unknown. And again, it could be even a second or third time. Because it's the same fingerprint coming up that DHS doesn't have in their system. I want you to understand, when Texas Department of Public Safety puts out on their website that from June 1st, 2011 to March 31st, 2019, 189,000 illegal aliens were charged with more than 303,000 crimes. Right? Among them, 549 homicide charges, 33,449 assault charges, 5,836 burglary charges, 38,185 drug charges, 420 kidnapping charges, 16,229 theft charges, 1698 robbery charges, 3570 sexual assault charges, 4777 sexual offense charges, and 3,049 weapons charges. Just know those are only the guys that they have DHS fingerprints on. So all the really punk guys that evaded Border Patrol and they don't have on record, they're not counting those. So even what Texas captured, they do the best job of capturing criminal alien data. It's easily less than half of it. That's what I want to tell you how this stuff goes undocumented when you don't have cities that actively do this. And again, like I tell you more and more, the weapons, the drugs, the drunk driving, it's criminal aliens and often related to the transnational gangs and cartels. I spoke with a different sheriff yesterday in Texas, and he was just talking about the quantum leaps that they've taken. You know, um, one of our new listeners... His name is Mark. You, you just emailed me during the show. I, I skimmed your email. Um, so in case I don't have time to answer you, let this be your answer. Um, he calls himself a centrist libertarian, and I'm, I'm very honored that we have you know, people who self-identify as non-conservatives listen to this show to get a different perspective, to get a deeper perspective, because you, you, you know this is unique. You're not going to hear this elsewhere. And you talk about the fact that, oh, you know, you're libertarian, and you think we're incarcerating too many people. And what I'm here to tell you is that <clears> – <throat> What, what I am noticing from a lot of interviews and a lot of data and a lot of observations, what has changed the last number of years is that more and more this is being driven by foreign nationals. And if we only dealt with the immigration issue the way I believe we should, as it seems like you agree with me on, then come back to me about our incarceration problem. I'm not saying it's all non-citizens, of course, but a heck of a lot of it, but particularly on the drug and <clears throat> – and uh, other and, and firearms charges, they come from them. It's the cartels. Now you might say, oh, let's just legalize all drugs. Well, first of all, they're doing fentanyl now. I mean, weapons of mass destruction. It's not even drugs. But even without that, what this sheriff was telling me, and I, and I know he's right, you could have tomorrow everyone in the country cured of their desire for drugs. Okay, go home. Now, certainly in the short term, that would take a bite out of their revenue. But they're getting tens of billions from the human smuggling because of our stupid self-immolating immigration border policies, the sex trafficking, the labor trafficking for these ag interests. It's a whole other story. These are multifaceted groups. They're not going to go home. They're no longer drug cartels. That's what I'm telling you. It's not just about drugs. 
But a lot of those caught doing the drug dealing, the drug trafficking, they're no longer, yeah, you're kind of schlepper, homeless guy or whatever in America. It's guys related to the cartels that are gangsters doing all sorts of other things will pick them up on that. But by golly, they need to be locked up for other reasons. And frankly, if we defended our sovereignty, we wouldn't have the crime, nor would we have to lock them up and have the incarceration costs because they'd be out of here. And that's why ICE is so important. Americans, it's catch and release. We let them out on bond. We convict them to time served. They never serve any time. And they commit more crime. But with these guys, the first sign of trouble, I mean, really, even if they didn't commit any crime, every illegal is deportable. But certainly, when they're arrested for doing anything, I don't need to land a conviction on the criminal offense if I don't want to put you in jail, if I just want to deport you. This is why it's so important that we deal with the art of the redressable, of the avoidable. Again, it's not that it's more immoral, a crime committed by a foreign national than an American. It's just more needless and redressable. You can get him out of here. You can't deport an American. So um, that's the deal. But again, increasingly, so much of this they're not low level. It's so much crime in places like Texas in particular, Houston and Dallas, and spilling into even smaller areas, unfortunately, West Texas. I mean, it's cartel and transnational gang, and the two are often related, uh, centric. It, it, it revolves around that. This is the ultimate external threat to our country. That's where all of our assets, diplomacy, military, national security, needs to be directed towards. That's what directly affects us. It all comes together. The stuff the cartels are getting in now, and again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we do anything more on a so-called war on drugs than we're doing. I'm suggesting if we do the things that we should be doing on immigration for our American sovereignty, then come back to me about what drugs look like, what crime and incarceration looks like. That's a big chunk of it. 40% of those in U.S. Marshals' custody at a federal level are foreign nationals. And again, it's not just for immigration crimes. Often we'll charge them on that, but the reason we are is because they're doing other things and they're dangerous. We don't need them in our country. Let's first solve the immigration issue, and then let's talk about the prison population, especially because it's already going down a lot. I know it's a partial answer, Mark, but if you Google conservative review, jailbreak, or criminal justice reform, you'll go to our landing page, and you'll see a list of 20, 30 articles we've written on this, kind of making that case. How I don't think we're even talking to each other about the reality on the ground. This is not 2005, 1996 era of incarceration and drugs. This is coming from a very different angle. The people we're going after now, because you see how many terrible guys like we spoke about yesterday, we don't really lock up. It's a joke. But the ones that are getting long sentences, I mean, they are the worst of the worst cartel people. And again, you do what I want to do on immigration. They'd never be in the country. So you wouldn't have to worry about the crime or the incarceration if that's what you're concerned about. 
it really is a force multiplying issue. If you allow other violent countries to dump their criminals in America and we pay for the rope to hang ourselves with. We have our own criminals, but you know, it's so much more dangerous when it's organized transnational gangs, terror groups. We need to hit them with all the tools we have. Those options need to be on the table. Then come back to me and talk about Venezuela. And one other point I wanted to make. Yesterday was the last pretrial hearing for Eddie Gallagher, the Navy SEAL commander who's being charged with murder of a 13-year-old ISIS fighter in in Baghdad or that that he they they claim he killed them in cold blood in Baghdad. And he's facing life in prison without parole. I mean, you want to talk about sentencing. Um, again, it's very interesting the type of people we'll go after. Like we talk about the militia guy versus the cartels. So this Navy SEAL guy, life in prison without parole. He was put in a brig in like almost solitary confinement. Trump had to order him into less restrictive um, confinement. To me, that case stinks to high heaven. You send people into hell holes. Now, there are certain levels and certain ways you want them to act. I don't know the truth here. I don't know another of the details. I do need to study it more. But to me, the level, there's different levels. There's an honorable discharge, dishonorable discharge, certain criminal charges with the dishonorable discharge, and then there's life in prison without parole. To me, it's got to be really bad to get that ladder. I mean, when given the circumstances of what we put them into. So getting back to Venezuela, all we accomplish with what we're doing is spend trillions of dollars, referee civil wars and make it worse for all sides, and empower Iran, China, and Russia at our expense, bring in millions of immigrants from both sides, which is the consummate danger that we're trying to prevent, and then prosecute our bravest warriors, for killing them in various scenarios. So if that's what our military is for, I'm sorry, no thank you to the military option in Venezuela. Until that stuff changes, I'm going to be very reluctant to support any military operation outside of repelling an invasion at our own border, which we won't do. That's the irony. That is the only thing that the president could do legally, in my view, constitutionally, without authorization from Congress. And that's the only thing we're like, oh, I don't think he could do that. But create a new theater somewhere else in the world? Whether noble or not, but it's for other people, other citizenry, not our own, somehow no questions asked. So um, that's the story there. I know we covered a lot of material, and again, my article just came out on the link to in, in show notes. Very important how weak urban cooperation with ICE exposes rural areas to criminal aliens. It's more and more happening in rural areas. Places we thought were safe are no longer safe from cartel activity everywhere. Demographics changing, 
too quickly, too irresponsibly. The American people, our interests are never put at the forefront. Our laws that are written in the most unambiguous terms to prohibit any public charge, any danger, any disease from coming in are ignored at the expense of an Amelia Bedelia reading of one statute times 100 bastardized by a million times by a lower court and by unelected bureaucrats. Social transformation without representation. The last story, um, before we run out of time, I didn't have time to get to the courts, of course, as I wanted to. Crazy stuff going on there, which is all a part of this. But the Center for Immigration Studies put out, I might do a quick article on this, put out new statistics that they obtained from um, Ron Johnson's committee, uh, Senate Homeland Security Committee, reiterating what we knew. But between July 2018 and January 2019, 23,445 unaccompanied alien children were released to sponsors. Now, remember, these are the worst. These are not nearly the majority aren't UACs anymore. They're family units. But these are the worst types in the sense that the others have de facto amnesty, but theoretically, if we wanted to, we could catch up with them and deport them. These guys are resettled as refugees. So they they need to be convicted of a certain degree of crimes in order to be deported. So a lot of them are teens. They're an MS-13, but they haven't yet been convicted, and we have all that danger that we're on the hook for. Hell of a lot of them are problematic. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. doesn't take a genius to know. Homogenous country, the most violent countries, you bring in young males of that homogenous crowd. It's not a distinct, persecuted, ethnic, or religious minority. It's of and by the same ilk that's doing the violence. To be clear, they're not all doing it, but a lot of them are, and a lot of them are susceptible to joining it, brought in under these conditions. 23,445 were resettled. Do you know they have a breakdown of the status of the sponsors, citizens, LPRs, and illegal immigrants, or people that, illegals that obtained status of some sort of quasi-amnesty that they should never have, like temporary protected status, which was designed to be temporary and discretionary and has now become mandatory and permanent in violation of our laws. So people... Less than 10% of those housing them are um, less than 10% are legal. More than 90% are directly illegal or originally were and manipulated themselves into a certain status against what our laws were intended to do. So Trump promised to end legal immigration chain migration, right? Where families could bring in other legal immigrants through the legal process, just based on legal uh, familiar ties and not based on skill. Instead, we have now illegal immigration chain migration where people could now come here and have us pay for the rope to hang ourselves, manipulate us, milk us dry, get on welfare, have anchor babies, stay here against our laws, and then they themselves could empower and pay coyotes and cartels and smugglers that are killing us with drugs and criminality 
further empower that with their revenue to go in contravention to our laws to bring these people in. And rather than deporting them and the people they're bringing in, we complete the criminal conspiracy of the cartels and reunite them with their families who themselves are illegal. That, folks, is paying for the rope to hang ourselves. Sorry to end with a sad note there, but I pledge to speak the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, whether you like it or not. We're going to continue doing that. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.